There's another one you don't want to hear. Frankly, the July. You are tuned into the Power Chord Hour right here on 107.9 WRFA, as well as on the Power Chord Hour podcast. However you're listening to this, thank you for listening. I'm your host, Anthony Merchant, and we got one last guest for 2023. Very happy to have Mr. Dave Hill on with us. Musician, writer, comedian. He has a new book called The Awesome Game, which is out now. And also, if you're listening on WRFA, we are a, while we are in New York, we are, a, uh, I say, a short two and a half hour drive from Cleveland. Dave will be playing up at the Grog Shop on December 30th, one of my favorite venues in the world. So uh, not a bad drive, weather permitting. So that's going on as well. Dave, how you doing, man? Good. How are you? Doing really good. Excited to uh, talk a lot with you. I mean, you do a lot of things, the book being the big one, but music and a little bit of everything. So yeah, thanks for coming yeah. out, man. Comedy and I like your replacement shirt. Oh, thank you very much. It is a tiny thing. bit of it. Now, yeah, that. I don't think they really made shirts. No, that is definitely a bootleg. Absolutely yeah. a bootleg off eBay. <laughs> but uh, you know, let's let's start off. I mean, you know, let's talk first with the book, the awesome game. That's kind of like the newest thing you're doing right now. It's your fourth yeah. book out. And again, like people, people who might be aware of you, I mean, you wear a lot of hats, musician, actor, comedian, you do a lot of things. You know, it's not like author was like, I would say your first, you know, the first thing that you did. So I mean, now with four books under your belt, I mean. Was like writing a book something you always kind of thought of, or is that one of those things? I was like asking people this because sometimes it's one of those things where just later on in life the opportunity appears and it's like, well, sure, I'll write a book. But I mean, was that something? Was that of interest? Was that something you were trying to do before book one? Was that like, it, yeah, I mean, it was something I wanted to do before, you know, I ever went into comedy or anything like that. Uh, I just because I I sort of. I sort of had a long road to accidentally getting into comedy, but I was writing before that. And I thought like, oh, I, maybe I could write books. And then I I just kind of got distracted. And then, yeah, then I, uh, well, no, it's kind of always on my mind and to do it. And then, yeah, I just been doing it and have to do a new one every few years. And hopefully I'll be able to keep doing it. It's fun to do. And it's like a good way to like explore things or, or you know something or depending on what i'm writing about whether it's just like kind of looking back and writing about the past or exploring new things like this book you know being a big hockey fan and kind of wanting to use that as a jumping off point for different adventures and exploring the world of hockey and then just you know the world in general like you know going all over the place using my publisher's money to travel it's a nice <laughs> trick i've learned <laughs> How like, I mean, I, I like the concept of the book, you know, how how long after coming up with the concept of the awesome game did you like start writing it? Like, where was that initial idea to like, hey, this seems like a good book. This seems like a good idea to then actually getting that like first draft and kind of putting pen to paper. Uh, Pretty soon, you know, I got started pretty quickly, like once, you know, I I'd, I'd finished my previous book and I was talking with my publisher Penguin about, uh, you know, what to do next and hockey's. You know, every, everything else I'm into, I've kind of turned into my job, really. Like, all the other things I enjoy, comedy and music and writing and acting and stuff, are all kind of what I do for a living. And, but hockey, you know, I think I knew when I was like 12 or 13 that I didn't have a future, <laughs> you know, playing pro <laughs> hockey. And uh, so this is kind of like, you know, I wanted to explore this sport that I really love and grew up very frustrated as a guy from Cleveland that it wasn't, you know, more popular in my city. And then, you know, in America in general, I don't, for my taste, it's not nearly as popular as it should be. You should be much bigger, Dave. Agreed. Agreed. How I about, agree. I mean, obviously the book is about hockey, but I mean, you want to tell us a little more, a bit, of, a little more, a bit about it and what the awesome game is about. Yeah. It's just kind of, uh, yeah, a big part of it is exploring why it's why the sport isn't more popular in America, but also, you know, growing up at you know my grandfather was from Canada, so I, I you know my siblings and I were like tossed out on the ice, you know, shortly after birth, and and you know got into hockey pretty young, and 
but it was kind of this underdog sport and kind of this outsider sport growing up in Cleveland, which I think made it more even despite, you know, being frustrated also was kind of like appealing to me because it was like, I'm going to go do this other thing that you guys aren't into and don't understand. And because uh, I've never, you know, I pretended to, you know, Cleveland's like very like Browns, Cavs territory. And, you know, I pretended to be into football and stuff because you know it's like social currency when you're a little kid uh you know showing up to the playground monday and knowing like how the browns did and then you know once i was 13 and started playing guitar i realized i was like oh i don't have ever have to pretend to be into something i'm not into ever again like i'm only gonna be into my shit (laughs) and you know and i mean i'm kind of always finding new shit to get into but I just like at that age, I was like, I'm never, I don't like football. I never have. It's just like, and it was just like, you know, learning Led Zeppelin songs. I was like, oh, good. I'm free of football. Nothing against football. I just think it sucks. (laughs) (laughs) Is there, is there any like, I mean, cause now, now knowing that about you, that hockey came before uh, it sounds like music. And I was kind of wondering that, are there any similarities? Like, could you like from playing hockey? I don't know if that's a weird thing at all, but like, could you apply any of the things from playing hockey, watching hockey, all that into music when you started getting into music? I mean, are there any similarities or are they just two drastically different monsters? Uh, I would say they are similar in that, you know, I don't know if it's anything I've been conscious of, but I think that, you know, hockey, especially more than any other sport, there's all these endless possibilities and like, you know, finesse and chaos and violence and uh, teamwork and individuality and all these things that come together, you know, all just it's kind of like a ballet on ice or metaphor for life on ice, I think. And I think music is the same way. It's kind of endless, endless possibilities and like means of expression and or or, you know, whether you're just listening, it's kind of endless the journeys you can go on with that. So I I think they're similar in that it's just kind of these explosive worlds of, you know, you could, you could play a whole, you know, you could play like a diamond defense or you could, you know, you could be going like uh, all over the place on the ice and uh, same way with music. Is there like, and I guess, no, it does. It definitely makes sense. And I was wondering that because I know much more about music than I do hockey. So you can kind of school me on that. So I, I was like wondering the similarities there, but like even even with the and I don't I don't know you could throw sports in there as well. But like you know is like writing a book drastically different. Is kind of going back to you doing so many different things. Is like writing a book drastically different from say writing music or doing stand up or writing comedy or any of that. I mean like when it comes to like doing all the different things you do, I almost I don't know a better way to put it. Like does it all come from the same like kind of creative mindset? you almost have to put yourself in a different mindset depending on what you're doing. Like, I mean, do you feel like you're basically in the same like creative mode if you're playing guitar as you are when you're writing the awesome game? Or do you feel like they almost come from two different places, if that makes sense? That's get all no, like they, deep. I mean, they can be similar. I, I think the big difference is maybe I'm coming at the different things from different points of view. Whereas like with comedy, I'm, all I'm trying, I mean, with with all of them, with all of them, I would say, you know, my goal is to entertain myself and kind of make something that I'm into. Um, you know, I don't really care about the audience at all. Uh, I mean, I care, like, I want people to like what I've done only in, you know, if, I, you know, I want to be liked like anyone, but I don't, I kind of want to be psyched on what I did. And then, you know, obviously I want other people to like it. And then, you know, cause that makes me be able to keep doing, you know, make a living doing it. If that's, you know, um, you know, I'm lucky enough to make a living my doing these things. So I, I obviously I want to keep doing that. Cause I, I don't want to be like driving a truck and then coming home tired. But that being said, I have nothing against that. It's just that, uh now i'm spinning off into a whole other thing but i don't think but at the same time the goal isn't money 
uh, it's just doing the things and having fun. But I, I think they are different in that with comedy, I'm really kind of just fully just what's whatever I think is funny. I, I truly don't give a fuck about the audience in comedy. Uh, cause I, I think like, if you're trying to figure out what someone else thinks fun is funny, you've already lost. And like, and also I don't care about, you know, so much of comedy and so many, even great comedy. And there's people who do a great job of this is kind of commenting on shared experiences and relate talking about relatable things. But in terms of my personal taste in comedy, like I'm more interested in people saying things talking about things i've never thought about like that's that's why that as a fan that's what i gravitate towards and then as a performer you know doing comedy i just kind of it's whatever comes out it's sort of like a, a snail whatever the goo is that a snail leaves behind that's like my comedic output for better or worse and then music music maybe i come at more as a fan and celebrating the music that i'm into like you know, with comedy, there's definitely like heroes and stuff, but I'm, I'm not like consciously going like, oh, what did, you know, what did Bobcat Goldthwait or Chris Elliott, Fred Willard or whoever do? And how can I apply that to what I'm doing? I don't really think that way, but with music, I'm always going like, okay, what's next here? I need to solve this one little thing. What would the kinks have done? What would, uh, Stones, you know, the Smiths, Bad Brains, whatever replacements. Who's Gurdu? Yeah. You know. The by the way, I have to give you uh, much respect for having a replacement shirt and an Iron Maiden poster <laughs> because, like, I grew up. You know, there wasn't. It was basically me and my best friend, one of my best buddies, Tim. We were like really omnivores in high school, like going to see the replacements. Then we'd go see Rat. Oh, you know, nice. we would kind of um, just whatever we wanted. And people were like, "What? You can't do that." We we're like, "We just did," you know. And so I feel like you, just based on your shirt and your poster in the background, you're probably coming from the same place. Of I do being an omnivore musically with music. I feel like I'm just kind of like trying to make music that like kind of just make a record that I would want to have in my collection. And that's like, for me, that's like, Oh, what if we could combine all the stuff that I like, you know, where you have uh, replacements, you know, Alex Chilton meets with uh, throwing a little Iron Maiden wasted years and, you know, you kind of do, and then you kind of make this, thing that you're that hopefully someone hasn't done but it's inspired by the things that you love and and then writing i don't know writing is a whole other i think the big thing with writing is like all of it really ultimately you have to kind of sit down and do it you can be inspired and hopefully your inspiration will take you very far but it i look at all of it as kind of like cutting a lawn or something you have to just do it and quit being precious about all of it you know it's like especially writing i think of those things people are so precious about it like oh could you people are always like oh do you write at home i can't write at home i'm like well do you have a fucking chair in your house that's all you need you know just sit down and do it and but people are like oh no i had i need it i need to go on a retreat and i need lavender and i got it or i gotta be in a coffee shop and has to be jazz on all this stupid shit like i just think it's like just do it like you don't just basic tasks tasks like cutting a lawn or something you don't go like oh i need like uh an honor a, a picture of honor palmer and like a bandana around my neck like you don't you just cut the fucking lawn i think art is the same way oh totally i mean even going back to like the music thing like what you were talking about is like I almost like, I mean, like a Paul Westerberg, like there's influences within that music that, I mean, the kids who are listening to them in the eighties would not like to know that Paul Westerberg was listening to like sixties AM radio hits and the kind of things that like bled in there. So it's the same kind of thing where like, 
you want the audience, I feel like what you're saying is like, you want the audience to like what you're doing without pandering. You want them to like it without you trying to craft it to what will make them like it. If you like what I'm doing, sweet. If you don't, oh, well, I'm in, I'm enjoying what I'm doing. That's kind of what I get from what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, just like do what you love. And and uh, this is a very name droppy uh, thing I'll name. do right now. But I love name dropping. I think it's fun. Uh, but I, I was just in Arizona, Maynard Keenan from Tool. Oh, yeah. I had me and my buddy Puddle's pity party out there. Oh, nice. And he gave us a tour of his winery and all that. And he was saying, like, oh, we don't do, like, you know, sweet wines. They, and you know, we like dry. Well, it's just like, you know, people are into sweet stuff, but I'm not. So we don't do that. And I was like, cool, let's, I like that. You're going to, you just do what you like. And then other people will be into it. And if, if they're not, fuck them, who cares? You know? Exactly. And so exactly. Uh, I think that's, yeah, you get, that's the way you got to do it. And yeah, Paul Westerberg with AM radio. I mean, like, look at the Ramones who are like basically a girl group, a 60s girl group, you know? You're and so like, right. <laughs> You know, and you, you, it's like all their songs can be like, you can in your head go, oh yeah, that's the Supremes. And, uh, but then, you know, on, on one level, people are like, oh, it's punk rock, punk rock. It's like, well, yeah, that was like the weird byproduct of it. It's like discovering Marmite out of making the brewing process of, I can, you know, drag condiments into this. Uh, you know, it's just like I, the punk rock, I think, was accidental with the Ramones. They were just trying to write, you know, Motown songs. I think you're right. I mean, people forget about that, too. I mean, if you want to go to early punk rock, punk rock has to start somewhere. So the originators aren't listening to also punk. The Ramones weren't listening to punk. Punk didn't exist. Obviously, the influences are in different places. You know, like people don't seem to think about that sometimes. Like, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You, I think it's cool to like take something and hopefully, yeah, wind up somewhere else. And uh, yeah, just like, I don't know. And then, you know, again, if I can just mix up metaphors and analogies. Do it, man. Like, I think also you, you're doing what you're, whatever you're doing, then you, you know, I, I think of part of like the stuff that I'm into and stuff I'm in doing is like, say I like really, like brownies you know i'm just baking brownies and then i set them out for people to share with me and if they don't take the brownies i'm like all right fuck it more brownies for me you know so i don't really care <laughs> i like it i like it dave i like it let's get let's talk a little more about the uh new book again this is your fourth book like how mm -hmm. different would you say the process of writing this one was from the other three i mean was it was it pretty different? Or I mean, also by book forward, you almost have a rhythm where they kind of the process kind of you almost have a I don't want to say formula. That sounds bad. But you know what I mean? Like you kind of have a way you write these or was this one like totally different from writing the other ones? It was different in some ways. I mean, part of it, I think uh, my friend Ben Acker is a hilarious writer, super talented dude. I was think I was thinking I was working on like my third book when and I was all like, ah, I don't know. And he was just like, just trust the process. Like you're working, you have this book deal, you're writing it, you have an editor, you have the publisher and all this, like just trust that you're going to do it and do the work and it's going to turn out well. And it was like really helpful to hear. So I think with the last two books, I've been thinking a bit more in those terms of like the first two books, you know, I was just like beating myself up and, having this voice in my head like oh it's fucking sucks you're garbage and uh oh my gosh you didn't hit your word count you wanted today you know and and then with the third book i was like well what if i just didn't uh abuse myself the whole time and i just sat down and wrote it uh and treated it more like what like i was saying like just doing the work of uh sitting down and and uh doing the best you can and not judging it and uh 
Yeah, so I think the last two books have been more like that. But this book, especially the hockey book, The Awesome Game, One Man's Incredible Globe-Crushing Hockey Odyssey, out now in all formats. Uh, I think a challenge of it was I wanted it to be a book about hockey, but also at the same time be like kind of an anti-sports book. Uh, I wanted it to be as much for hockey fans as for people that don't care about sports at all you know, and have it be an enjoyable read and not be bogged down in statistics and things like that, you know. Uh, I wanted to just be, like, kind of fun. And I've been psyched that, you know, seeing people, you know, in their reviews and comments just be like, oh, I don't give a shit about hockey, but I really enjoyed this book. Um, You know, obviously I'd be psyched if someone was like, I didn't give a shit about hockey, but now I do. I'd be more psyched with that reaction, but I'm psyched. You know, I tried to write it and and kind of use hockey as the spine of, uh, you know, to, or the trunk, whatever, and kind of go off in all these directions, you know, like I wound up in Kenya because there was one team in all of Kenya, the Kenya Ice Lions. I went and played with them. And while I was there, while I was there, I saw a baboon steal a loaf of bread from a bunch of school children, which is... Hands hands down, the most amazing and entertaining thing I've ever seen in my life. Uh, and so, I, you know, I include a lot of the stuff like that in the book. Um, so so that it's not, uh, you know, I'm sort of leading hockey fans astray and hopefully uh, giving enough other stuff for non-hockey fans to be, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm paying attention, that sort of thing. So, uh, so that was a challenge of it is to also, you know, I think my enjoyment of hockey is like pretty basic. I mean, I, I'm knowledgeable about the game and the rules and all that, but I also kind of enjoy it on a very, like, like a five-year-old might where I'm just like, this is awesome. I'm having a good time. I'm not really getting, uh, not paying too much attention to like, I can go down the wormhole of like, oh, this is what they're doing out there. And like, you know, this guy's doing this and the goalies, you know, this and that. Uh, but I'm also just psyched to be in arena. I love the sound of the game. I love just all of it. I love drinking a little too much at the game. Uh, or drinking or not, or drinking not at all, either way. Uh, you know, I just kind of into the whole, I'm super into hockey sweaters or jerseys as they're known to the lay person. Um, and, and just really connecting with people, you know, like right now I'm wearing a Toronto Marley's, uh, hoodie that was given to me by the Toronto Marley's, which is amazing. Uh, they're oh, an AHL team, uh, farm team of the Maple Leafs. And, you know, that came about, I was playing the national anthem at the Cleveland Monsters game in Cleveland and dude on Instagram was like, Oh, my buddy's the equipment manager. So he's like, you guys should know each other. So actually, uh, so Will Burns with the Marley's equipment manager, we start talking, I'm doing the sound check for the anthem. And he's like, Oh man, I love it. Like my favorite band is rat. So he's like super into rat. And he's like, you're doing all these like Warren D martini things. I'm like, yeah, I love Warren D martini. So, Anyway, I just kind of love being into one thing and having all these other things kind of spin off from it, you know, where I'm talking about uh, Rat with the equipment manager. And now I have a sweet hoodie. So, you know. Worked out. Worked out really well for me. Worked out amazingly well for me. (laughs) (laughs) You know, kind of with that combining of things, because, I mean, anybody who is a senior comedy, I mean, you're you're very good at it. I feel like the... uh, you know, combining comedy and music and like your loves of everything. But like, I always wonder, cause you do it very seamless. Even going back to earlier, like you were talking about, you have influences in comedy. I don't feel like you're trying to be anybody. There's nobody I could like pinpoint you as. So like, was it always easy Thank to you. seamlessly like put those two together, like the music and comedy, or did that take time? I mean, do you, do you feel like that just naturally flowed together from the beginning when you started doing it? Or now when I watch it, am I just seeing someone who really worked out the kinks and like, really kind of figured out like it wasn't this smooth on day one oh uh, well um i think it's a gradual thing and i think i'm still figuring it out like i i feel like 
I hope anyway that I feel like I'm kind of midstream and I'm kind of headed towards something that maybe I can't really fathom just yet. Um, I think initially I kept them really separate. Like when I started doing comedy, I basically started doing comedy and my current band that's been together for a long time now, Valley Lodge, which is not wildly popular, but one of our songs is the theme to the to last week tonight with John Oliver on HBO. Oh, nice. And so we're kind of like one of those bands that a lot of people have heard without realizing it. And so I was kind of doing those, starting those things, you know, starting comedy and starting that band roughly around the same time, but I kept it very separate where I wouldn't even play guitar in my comedy shows. Cause I, I guess I didn't know how, I guess I was like, well, most of what I'm seeing is, you know, when I would go to shows and someone have a guitar, they'd be like strumming G chord and rhyming fart with heart and things like that. And there's people doing amazing things with comedy and music, like Tenacious D, of course, who are, you know, just amazing in every way. And uh, Flight of the Concords. But I didn't really see, I guess I was like, I had such reverence for rock music. And just, well, in the broad definition, that includes replacements and Iron Maiden. Um, so I was like, had such reverence for that. I was like, oh, I'm not going to just like goof around. And so, but then like my friend Greg Barris had this show, The Heart of Darkness, that he used to do in Brooklyn. And that was like, he would have a band of, that was on stage like his house band so i was like oh i'll bring my guitar and i'll play some guitar while i tell my jokes and then you know t my buddy tom papa has come to papa where he has like a jazz duo or trio oh nice quartet every game every show and then so i started doing the same thing with that i was like oh i'll bring my guitar and i'll kind of just do play guitar while I'm telling my jokes and stories and things. And then, you know, also Wesley Stace, another buddy of mine, Cabinet of Wonders show that he does in New York and then other cities. He has a house band, so I would do it with that. So it was more kind of like, oh, well, there's a band. I'm here to tell jokes, but I'll rip some solos while I'm at it. And then kind of evolve that way, because I, I guess, like, I used to have this stupid idea in my head where I I thought, well, it's not funny to be good at guitar. Like, you know, cause like, I was like, Oh, like, it seems like that's like showing off. But then I was like, well, if you really showing off and like, just like ripping as hard as you can, then it starts to be funny again, at least in my mind, at least oh, for my entertainment, for my entertainment purposes, I think it's pretty funny. And, um, and then, uh, so, yeah, so I've been combining it more and more and, like, uh, opening up for a lot of bands, uh, you know, whether it be, like, Tenacious D, like, more, you know, more comedic band, uh, but amazing band. And, um, but, I've you know, I've opened for Quicksand, Ryan, oh, Ryan Adams, Down. I opened for Snoop Dogg, which was kind of a disaster, but also uh amazing at the same time uh <laughs> but uh so i kind of feel like you know especially in these last few months of uh of uh you know i've been getting bands more like i'll get a backing band in each city when i'm doing a show i'll chuck berry style you know just like does anyone know a bass player or drummer a lot of times oh, i mean i've done shows where i literally I meet that I did a show in Wisconsin recently where I didn't even meet the drummer until he came on stage in the middle of my show. I was like, get the band up here. And I was like, Oh, Hey, nice to meet you. So it's that loose, you know? Wow. Uh, and if the musicians are good, it, it works. It, you know, occasionally you get someone who's not that skilled, um, but whose heart's in the right place. Um, and it is hard, a little harder, but, yeah, I've just been kind of doing that, but I, I don't know. I, I think like what I'm doing now is cool and I'm into it, but I kind of see it as like, uh, 
maybe in a year from now or whatever, I'll be like dialed in in a different way. And, uh, and it's fun. And also like on a, just a truly lazy way, <laughs> I'm just like, well, I like playing the guitar on stage. I like telling jokes on stage. Like why leave the house twice? Just leave the house <laughs> once and do it, do it all at once. And that way, uh, you kind of get it out of your system. So, you know, the Tenacious Detour, like they're playing massive venues and there's Jumbotron and everything. And I'm I'm just like telling my jokes, I'm ripping solos. I'm, so I'm kind of, uh, you know, but there's, it's also, there's it's bittersweet at the same time because I'm, you know, I'm like, oh, I'm ripping solos, but I'm not really like playing my songs and telling my jokes. But then I also got, all these pedals. I don't know. Is that cheating? Probably not. I don't think it's cheating. I don't even know why I suggested it. It's not cheating, man. It's not cheating. It's Dave. not. No, because I, you know, with my comedy, I, you know, when I write the jokes, I, per, everything I perform with the, the, you know, with the guitar on stage, I've performed a million times just with no guitar, just saying it, you know, so I make sure that it works. It doesn't need a, a rhythm section you know like i can just stand there and, and talk it's just honestly for my own entertainment i have fun going out and just talking but it's more fun for me to go out and play you know talk and then rip some solos in between and also like i don't know it's led to some cool opportunities and collaborations where musicians i admire will be like you're funny and all, but would you, you just want to play guitar? And and I'm like, yeah, cool. You know, like my buddy Walter Schreifels, oh hell yeah, Quicksand and Gorilla Biscuits and Rival Schools, and so I mean, we've known each other for a long, like since the '90s. But uh, we, he he was at one of my comedy shows, and you know, like I don't know, 15 years ago, or whatever. And I was playing guitar and he's like, I was watching you. And I thought that it couldn't be real because I was like, there's no way he's that good. And then he's like, I kept watching and I saw that you like, I was like, oh, he's faking it perfectly. Like everything he's doing, his hands are in the right place for that thing. And then he's like, then I realized you were actually doing it. And then he's so then he was like, do you want to be in my band? So <laughs> that's how I wound up playing in you know his walter schreifel's band we toured europe a few times so uh so sort of uh, out of comedy some musical things have come so yeah I, you know i'm enjoying like making it as blurry as possible just mixing in you know sometimes i'm like i don't know what i'm doing because I, I don't really know anyone else who's kind of doing exactly what i'm doing no. so it's kind of like Sometimes I feel a little like, what's happening? <laughs> you know, where is this going? But I'm excited, and hopefully, hopefully, I can mac maximize the potential of it. Over, I don't know anything. Anything I'm doing, I'm just trying to like figure out, try to do the best that I can, and you know, realize my potential as uh, at whatever I'm doing. You know, like even the guitar. Like right before this, I took a guitar lesson on Zoom. Oh really? Because I'm just like, oh, I should be better. I want to be better, you know, just for my own fun, you know, just kind of, I think it's like more fun to be, if you're doing something, you know, if you play tennis, it's more fun if you're better at it, probably, I would think. <laughs> I definitely agree with that. I, so, I, actually, uh, I feel that way about everything. I was kind of like, I'm still thinking about it. It's blowing my mind that not only like, I mean, because it is like thinking about you doing music and comedy up there and the way you do is already crazy. But to then go that you like get new, you have a backing band that's basically different every time, like in every city kind of deal. Like for one, credit to you because you yourself have to be a pretty uh, good musician to be able to just go play with people randomly like that. But also like maybe I'm pulling this out of my ass. Maybe there's no connection. But like doing comedy and music, like there is that improv on the spot thing, I'm sure, with like doing stand up. I mean, is that comparable to the improv of having three new people up there to play with every night, not knowing how it's going to go? Or is that a different kind of improv? Because, like, 
or improv, but also that live in the moment. You know what I mean? Like, is there? Yeah, I mean, it's cool. I definitely like things that are like it's more fun where you're figuring it out on the fly, and you know, there's uh, if I do some more name dropping. Um, my friend Chris, Chris Murphy from Sloan. Oh, hell yeah. I love Sloan. He that's played a, drums. Amazing. Yeah, they're an amazing band, and he's a great dude. One of my best friends. And oh, uh, so he played drums with me in uh, in Toronto recently, and he was like, "You thrive." it's like you thrive on chaos. <laughs> and I was like, which seems like a bit, I, I, don't, I don't think in my, my life, He's not referring to my life. He's just referring to my stage show. I'm like, yeah, I do. Definitely. And, um, you know, that kind of chaos of having musicians that sometimes you've never met. Or, I mean, sometimes, you know, with Tenacious D, uh, you know, Scott Siva, the drummer, and John Spiker, they were kind enough to play with me every night on that tour. And we're going to do Europe this summer. Or spring, nice. and I hopefully I think, assuming they're doing it, playing with me again, unless they have had it with my bullshit, which <laughs> they may have. I don't know. You'll find out when no. you get to your. I'll find out when I show up. But I mean, those guys, I mean, they're such sharpshooters. They're such amazing uh, musicians and great dudes that, like, it was kind of fresh every night, and you know, like, uh you know, like one of the nights into the tour, I decided I was going to do something else in front of 10,000 people. I turned around and be like, Hey, here's what we're going to do. And they're like, boom, they're right there. You know? So when people are total badasses, it's really easy to do that. And I've definitely run into the opposite, uh, <laughs> you know, more specifically with drummers. I find they have, they struggle a bit. Um, but not very often. Usually, usually people are they get it and can just kind of jump in. And um, you know, the stuff that I'm doing is, if you're decent, you can play along decently, and if you're a badass, and you can bring the hammer down really hard. <laughs> so it it rarely doesn't work. But as, you know, sometimes. But it's you know, there are a lot of variables where some guys kind of like fall into this groove that like works really great and makes it very easy to tell jokes and do all this stuff. And then sometimes it's a little harder and the jokes suffer as a result. And sometimes you have to just focus on telling the jokes and you can't rip as many solos, you know, it's kind of a, but yeah, it's different every time, but different from, so you're dealing with uh well, I don't know. Maybe I've never done like improv comedy, like in, in an improv troupe or anything. But I imagine it's similar in that, like, you're if you have different scene partner, whatever partners and stuff, like, you know, I guess it's similar in that. You know, there's yes ending in improv and and I think in life and anything creative. And as long as the musicians yes and you know, which is to you know. Uh, you know the principle if you what i maybe you know it but uh you know it's just sort of building on what someone's doing in the green you know agreeing with it and building on it rather than shutting it down and oh, if yeah. you can do that if you can do that musically things go better and it comedy that it goes better as well so so yes they're exactly the same <laughs> that's my long answer <laughs> Also, I have to acknowledge, as I do every time people bring up Sloan on this show, I'm kicking myself in the ass for just discovering this year. They're like the greatest band of all time. And I somehow just... Oh, did. yeah, man. They've been kicking out... Uh, I've had I mean, a big catalog to go back through. Very big Yeah, catalog. yeah. There's a lot. I mean, that's the exciting thing about... You should never feel bad about discovering any art form, quote-unquote, quote-unquote, late, because it's just exciting because then there's so much for you to to dive into you know you get in on the ground floor then you just have that first album you get in you get in 25 years later you have a whole pile of shit to get into you got a back catalog 30 years with them actually i think it is it's a that's it is absolutely so i'm i'm jealous of you actually (laughs) 
I've gotten to hear all those songs the first time this year, the ones you've heard for decades. Yeah, I've been I, hearing it forever. I'm sick of that shit. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I didn't want to ask him. He brought up Tenacious D a couple times, and I know you just got off tour not too long with them. By the videos, that tour looked very fun. Am I correct with that? How that? How did that? It was up? maybe the funnest time of my life. Definitely, like if not the funnest, definitely up there. Uh, they're amazing. They're the nicest guys. You know, Jack and Kyle, their band, their crew, everyone was just so kind and wel welcoming and put on such a great show. I mean, musically, total badasses, funny as hell, amazing. Uh, the songs are so like, I mean, it was just like every night I'd watch the show. And I saw Metallica at MetLife Stadium like right before this tour and i've said this a million times tenacious deep kicks the shit out of metallica oh damn in terms of like and i'm a huge metallica fan don't get me wrong mm -hmm. i'm a huge fan but for in terms of just entertainment value and and just just badassery tenacious tenacious has got fire they have a blow up satan they just had all this shit. Metallica goes out there. They're like, hey, we're Metallica. Here's Search and Destroy. No, Seek and Destroy. I'm going Stooges <laughs> on you. Stooges. Well, I mean, Stu well, I don't know. Both are Stooges great. Stooges are amazing, too. I mean, Stooges, don't get me started. Seek and Destroy. Here's, uh, you know, Sanitarium. Uh, whatever. Anyway, my point is, it wouldn't kill Metallica to stop skimping on the fire and get a blow up Satan. And then we can talk. I, I mean, yeah, when you put it that way, I don't think anyone can argue with you. I don't think anyone can argue yeah. at all. Tenacious. Hey, no. All the way. <laughs> no, they truly, I mean, that show was so great. I was so psyched. I'm, and I'm so psyched to, I'm touring with them again in May. And I'm so psyched to uh, just be out there watching it every night. Nice. nice. That's going to be, I'm sure that's going to be a great tour. A couple more yeah. for you, man. Before I before I let you go, I was I was going to ask you too. Like I mentioned earlier, you got uh, you know, if you're listening on the radio show, Grog Shop Show, December thirtieth. Which uh, actually, if you're listening to the radio show, that'll be tomorrow night. If you're not doing anything tomorrow night, you got Dave Hill up at the Grog Shop. Um, if you, I was Is, wondering for you, you edit my swears out. I swore a few yeah, times. It's okay. You can swear all the fuck you want. I go through and oh. and yes, I edit these. You, you can swear whatever you want. Okay. Also, well, I'll I'll tame myself. This airs from 8 to 11, and from 10 to 11, the Safe Harbor Act. I don't know if you know, like, FCC Safe Harbor. So Yeah, like, yeah, you can drop you can Fs and Fs. Yeah, so they say fuck, say shit all you want, 10 to 11. We're okay. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I'll just air this on the later part of the episode. <laughs> sure. But, uh, but no, I, I was going to ask, again, people listening, you know, drive on up to Cleveland. I was going to ask you, because, you know, obviously Cleveland, your stomping grounds back in the day, did you play much at Grog Shop over the year years? I mean, was that a was that a place you've played a lot? Also, did you attend shows there? When uh, oh, you know, totally, yeah, one thousand percent. I mean, I went to high school with Matt Muggeridge. I actually we played on the high school hockey team. Matt Muggeridge, who oh started the Grog Shop. Oh wow! And uh, Kathy Blackman now, uh, she's been running it for a very long time. So. I'm like ground floor uh that place pretty much. I mean, I was already I was like living in New York when it opened, you know, I was in college and then I wound up back there. But yeah, I played in bands. My first band, Sons of Elvis, played at uh the old grog shop. I was in a band called Cobra Verde. Uh we played there. Uh, yeah, any any band I've ever been in has played in the Grog Shop, I think. I mean, the Valley Lodge has not played at the Grog Shop, actually. I don't think. But, um, yeah, and then they moved down to the streets to this new location. So, yeah, part of the reason... I mean, I I love playing places that do music and comedy. I'm more, much more comfortable that, than doing, like, strictly comedy places. Uh, and, yeah, my relationship with Grog Shop goes back you know, 30 years now. Jeez. That is yeah. amazing. 
uh, kind of going off that too, because I was going to ask you, like, I mean, I live Jamestown, New York. We're like right on the border, like 45 minutes from Erie, PA. So like we don't get a lot of shows oh, that's here. Where, that's where the, that? not where the Comedy Hall of Fame is. Yeah, the National Comedy Center. Yeah, that's here. I I did something there a few really? years ago that was super fun. Yeah, and it's um, like three yeah, I want to come back. Yeah, I dug it. And um, who Natalie Merchant from isn't Ten Thousand Maniacs from Jamestown? Yeah, their uh, keyboard player was our former manager, general. He basically started the radio station that this uh, show is on. Dennis Drew. Oh, he wow. started the station. Lots of connections. Yeah, wow. we're down here in Jamestown. But yeah, like, yeah, I've been there. Yeah, it's a cool town. It's where Lu- Lucille Ball is from. There, you know, you do know Jamestown. It's always a I'm hit not, or miss. Some people know Jamestown. Like some rain, rain man of jo- of Jamestown. <laughs> Just rattling off facts. <laughs> Your official title. But I mean, <laughs> like with Jamestown, we really like you know music scene. Like I mean, I want to go to punk shows and stuff. I go up to Cleveland, so like there's a lot of like Buffalo, Cleveland, Pittsburgh. I go surrounding areas, like whatever. But like. Or do you go I, to the, I, the Mohawk in Buffalo? Mohawk Mo- Place? Mohawk Place and Grog Shop are like, just, yes, absolutely. Those are two of like probably my most spent time in uh, as far mm-hmm. as like uh, venues go. I mean, some of my, yep. some of my favorites in this area. But like, like to kind of paint a picture, like I'm 31. So like, I feel like the Cleveland scene I know growing up is probably different from the one you know growing up, going to shows, playing in bands, playing shows. Like yeah, I was probably. wondering like, if you can paint like, what was the local music scene like when you were coming up, when you started going to shows, when you started playing shows? I mean, what did the scene look like there? Did you have venues? Were there bands to play with? Were there bands to go see? Like, I mean, what did that scene look like when you kind of started getting into music in Cleveland? In Cleveland? I mean, it, it would have been like, you know, there, like anywhere, there was a lot of bands, you know, you'd see in like the, the local you know scene magazine the local arts weekly and you'd be like there'd just be bands you know kind of aping what's on the radio you know so you had like aspiring hair metal bands aspiring you know trent Reznor was in a band that was kind of like this new wave keyboard band before he did nine inch nails and uh there was kind of everything but then uh there's a band Death of Samantha, you know, which is guys that end, end up being Cobra Verde and Guided by Voices. And, you know, Doug Gillard, a good buddy of mine, is, you know, currently in Guided by Voices. And, but like when, when my friends and I discovered them, we were kind of like, oh, okay, like there's guys like us playing in bands. And the, I'm sure there was, you know, plenty of others that i just didn't know about like you know there's a whole there's like mushroom head going on integrity which i was you know i was aware of all that stuff but it wasn't like what i was into and not i mean i'm i respect it but it was just wasn't my scene or whatever and you know but death of samantha was really when we saw that and i was like oh okay um then it felt like oh i could i could have a band you know and also i think being a smaller scene and this is just my perspective of it because you know i like to my mind when when a band would come through you would get everyone who is into different shit would come you know you'd like danzig would come to town and everyone who was into you know punk metal hardcore whatever everyone would be at that show rather than just like only the metal heads are going to be here or only the metal and punk or whatever it was to that was just my sense of it maybe i'm wrong but i've always felt like there's a smaller scene so like you would go everyone would just come out and see the different shit you know like if, if you know gangrene cannibal corpse or whatever and like this you know 30 years ago everyone would just be you would see everyone at every show and rather than everything being like really specialized um at least i don't know but then i was also like you know as soon as i started going to shows my buddy tim parnan who plays in a band called falling stars and and sweet apple with jay mask it's like we were always into everything so we would go see like the replacements then we would go 
I mean, I remember the Starship did a free concert. We were like, all right, we'll go. There's Craig Chiquiso. As long as someone was playing guitar on stage, I was like, I'm there. I'm in. Actually, that show that I'm speaking of, I, I don't know the exact year that would have been, but the opening band was Slam Bamboo with a keyboard player, Trent Reznor. To get, <laughs> really? Uh, yeah, because he was in like a variety of bands. And then obviously he would, then he was like, I'm going to take over the world with my own thing. Um, and he did. So, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of, it was a bit of everything. And, uh, but, it, but it was cool. I don't know. I, I had a good time. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, kind of throw you on the spot, I guess, because I like people listening to this too. I mean, I always like going back and, you know, I mean, it's great to discover new music. But damn, it's also like we were talking about a Sloan. How great is it to go find a band from 30 years ago you've never heard of and go find a back catalog? Kind of putting you on the spot. I mean, do you remember any bands from that era, you know, kind of lesser known ones from the Cleveland, surrounding Cleveland scene, whether you played with or saw, that even now you're like, God damn, you should go like look them up, hunt them down, find the random seven inch, find them on YouTube. Are there any bands from back in the day from that kind of Cleveland scene you'd tell people? Yeah. Kind of I know I'm putting I mean, you on the spot. I mean, there there's Glenn Schwartz who died in the last couple of years. Glenn was like, I think like Jimi Hendrix was a huge fan. Jimmy Page was a huge fan. He's kind of this like was or still is, you know, in his in death, uh, this mythological figure. He was in the in the James Gang, and then he was in like Pacific. What's it called? Uh, Pacific Gas and something, or you know. They had a song. I'm going to look it up. I'm going to look it up. I have to tell you. Look, I know this uh, one. I'd like to help you, but I don't know what band you're talking about. Red. I'm going to I'm going to find this song and get the I was only like lack. I'm just exhausted. Oh yeah. Pacific Gas and Electric. He was in that band. And then he kind of like had like an acid freak out. You know, uh I don't know. I'm saying that in such an antiquated way. I, I think just a lot of things happened mentally for him. And he wound up in Cleveland, but just like transcendent uh, Bible thumping, insane guitar player. I saw him like maybe the last show he ever played. I saw him uh, a few years ago, and uh, so. But I don't. I don't even know. I think maybe Joe Walsh and Dan Auerbach and Glenn maybe recorded some stuff. There's definitely some stuff on YouTube. If you look up Glenn Schwartz, he was this guy. I mean, he was amazing, but also like kind of his stage banter was, was kind of like uh, made it very hard for him to uh, take over the world, which he should have, because uh, he said a lot of things that uh, wouldn't fly in many places. Um, and... So him, and I would say Doug Gillard had a band called Gem that made one record for, I believe, Restless Records. And that band uh, was amazing. And, uh, and I, you know, Doug ended up, you know, doing a lot of, and, you know, Doug has several amazing uh, solo albums too. But Gem would be something to seek out. Cleveland band. Um, there's an oh gosh, gosh, Bill Fox. You got to This that's probably the biggest one I'm going to give you. Well, all of these are great, great recommendations. Uh, Bill Fox, go listen to a record called Transit Byzantium. Byzantium. Uh, there's some. I'll give it away. Is the my favorite song on that album. And he was from a band called The Mice, I believe. And, you know, uh, just kind of legendary, reclusive Cleveland dude. I don't even know if I've ever met him myself, but huge fan. And, okay, so I've given you, oh, who else? i got to give you some metal. Uh, yeah. God, I can't think of, oh. I'm putting you on the spot, me. man. I'm asking you right now to like jog but your it's metal. Like stuff like that in my brain that I can't think of. Uh, metal band. I'm friends with. Okay, I'm gonna find this. Uh, I'm gonna find this for you. 
because this is important. Mark, um, drummer, metal. What's the band? Uh, Breaker. Breaker. That's the band. Breaker is a metal band, uh, like 80s Cleveland in the sort of, uh, you know, just classic metal, uh, underrated metal band from Cleveland you could seek out. Uh, what am I, what else, what else did I forget? I don't know. Um, I don't know. Those would be the ones for now. I mean, Cobra, I mean, then there's the, some of the things probably in my mind that are, to my mind, are, everyone knows about, but maybe they don't. But obviously, Cobra Verde, check that out. Um, great band. Uh, current one, Falling Stars. Uh, I'll remember 50 things when we hang up. Later on, yeah, you're going to think of so but many. But those are all, all good recommendations. No, those are really those are some really good ones. I can't. I've, I guess I've heard of a couple, but definitely some in there I myself have to jump into. Yeah, but, uh, but yeah, man. I mean, I, one more for you, and then I'll let you go. I got to ask you this because it's how I discovered you back in the day. Like my uh, my ex- my exposure to Dave Hill would have been on Mark Hoppus's show in like 2011. I was like in high school. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> you did a couple segments on there. Like, how did that come about? How did you end up on the show? Like, that's how I know you. I I like I remember being in high school. I think on the first episode, maybe even like we watching on my TV and there's Dave Hill. I've known of you since. I don't, I think, I think they saw me do something else. I'm yeah, that's must've been what happened. And I just remember having a meeting there with Sue fellows and Tony Fask. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, they, I was like a kind of correspondent on the show and I did a, a bunch of stuff. And uh, Mark is an awesome dude, a uh, super nice guy. Like, uh, and so it was super fun. And uh, yeah, the, um, I wish, I wish it was, uh, this, I say this with any show that shoots up the street from my apartment. I wish <laughs> it were still going and I wish I were still on it because my career is very much marked by shows that used to tape up the street from my apartment and then they end. And then I'm like, well, it was fun going one subway stop and being on television. Uh, you ever take that personal? Like they're doing it to you. Like they canceled it because I do, I do tend to think it's personal. Yes. Um, <laughs> no, but there, I honestly, multiple TV shows have shot cause they all kind of shoot in this one area by Madison Square Garden, and they're just kind of come and go. Um, but yeah, that was super fun, you know, and it's a cool way to do like comedy and music related stuff. And and also, you know, learn like Narco Corridos music. I didn't know anything about it, and I did a segment on that out in Vegas, and that was super fun. And um, yeah, it was fun. I did a few things with Mark, like where I got to sit on the couch and talk and stuff. And uh, yeah, and it was cool. Like he's super great dude. Nice, um, nice. Hey, Mark, that's, you're listening. <laughs> I, Mark Hoppus is probably our biggest listener, I would say. Biggest listener probably your biggest listener, but uh, excellent guy. Nice, nice. No, I, I had to ask. I mean, that was, that was uh, even, I was very excited to talk to you. I'm like, I got to ask you how you got on that show. I mean, that was my, you know, I remember being in high school, seeing you on that show. I had to ask how you got on there. Yeah, I think it was just like I was doing a lot of like man on the street stuff for other networks and just on my own, throwing it on YouTube and and uh yeah i think that's how it came about it's going from there well dave i mean i've had a blast talking to you we're gonna let you go but before you do you want to tell people where to find you online or can we grab the awesome game what else do you have going on you know we got 2024 here in like a couple weeks like yeah. what you got on? plug away man tell us what's going okay, on okay i'm gonna do it yeah grog shop december 30th you better come i'll be in la uh january 8th doing a solo show january 6th and 7th i'm doing Kevin McDonald from Kids in the Halls, uh, oh, nice. Superstar Musical, all in L.A. at Dynasty Typewriter. Uh, yeah, my book, The Awesome Game, One Man's Incredible Globe-Crushing Hockey Odyssey, available in all formats wherever you get incredible books. Uh, in February, I'm going on tour with Michael Shannon, the actor and musician, and my friend Jason Arducci. 
who plays uh, with Bob Mould, Super Chunk, Sunday Day Real Estate. He's got his own great band, Split Single. I'm going to open that tour, their East Coast tour. And uh, what else? I'm, I'm going to be in Edmonton and Calgary at Wind Eruption, then the big classic festivals, respectively, in January. I'm going to be at Sketchfest in San Francisco in February or January, January, uh, January 21st, Club Fugazi. And then in May, I'll be in Europe, uh, well, Dublin and UK, really, specifically, uh, all parts of Europe. Uh, I'll be touring opening for Tenacious D. And, uh, and, and I'll shut up. I'm doing a series for four comics books for Oni Press. But that's Ooh. all I can tell you. That's all I can tell you about it. Very nice. Very um, nice. Yeah. Anything else to let the uh, good people know before we close this out? Have we forgotten anything? Oh, yeah. All my social media is at Mr. Dave Hill, at Mr. Dave Hill, all one word. And beyond that, I would say get an electric toothbrush. It really makes a difference. And drink a lot of water. Very important. Stay hydrated. This man knows his shit. You know your yeah, shit, Yeah, those are my tips. Also, don't skimp on footwear. Don't <laughs> skimp on footwear. Get good <laughs> shoes. It'll, it'll, you'll feel better. And you'll look better. <laughs> and with that, we got Dave Hill on the show again. The awesome game is out now. If you're in Jamestown, go see him at the Grog Shop tomorrow, Saturday night. I'm Anthony Merchant. We'll be back with more in just a second. You are tuned in to the Power Court Hour. <laughs> 